Hello and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. My name is Jason Stephenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. This is Advent number three, the week of joy. So far we've been through hope, we've been through faith, we've looked at the prophets when it comes to hope, the idea of criticizing and energizing, the idea that we are trusting and believing that God is up to something and that something new is possible, that God is working within humanity and calling us to partner with God to build and construct and to participate in a new reality. And that that new reality is not just a future hope, an optimistic idea, but that it's something that is happening within us now, that the hope that we have has to be birthed in us now. And so we have to, as the prophets were, we have to be willing to be critical and to be uh, realistic about the circumstances that we're in so we can look at it honestly. Because we do that, we can also have hope. We can also be energized about what God is up to and and participate and partner with God in bringing that future into our present. Secondly, in the week of faith, we looked at how faith is kind of the daily rhythm of that hope, daily trusting that this plan is actually going to happen or that we are not just here for no reason, but that we're here for a purpose and we are finding meaning in the things that we do. You know, we talked about Mary's story and how this pregnancy, although the story itself may be exciting and have these moments of exhilaration and pure joy, there's also probably a mundane and a hard and frustrating and long process. And that faith and trust are kind of the daily backbone of seeing that promise through. And so this week, we're going to focus on the third idea in Advent, which is joy, looking at joy. Now, I got to be honest, I don't like the word joy. I have not always loved the idea of joy because I know that joy is not exactly like happiness. Happiness is this emotion that kind of comes and goes, and maybe it's permanent for some people. Maybe it's fleeting for others. Maybe it's forced. But happiness is kind of this emotional idea, and joy is meant to be, or at least it's kind of said to be, this thing that is a choice. So you might hear the phrase, choose joy. Well, I kind of hate that phrase. To be honest, I hate the phrase choose joy because sometimes in life I don't want to choose joy. Um, I don't want to uh, have to be joyful. You know, I think joyful is kind of oftentimes seen as this kind of happy posture towards the world, a happy-go-lucky, everything's going to work out. And look at me putting on my smile. I'm choosing joy today, even though I want to be miserable or want to be angry or want to be frustrated. And so joy is kind of packaged as happy, even though I know it's not. But I can't help but go there because it seems to be so synonymous. And so I had the opportunity to prepare a message at church this past Sunday. And I'm going to use my notes and kind of use some of the similar themes that I wrestled with in church because I kind of wrestled with this idea of what does it mean to choose joy? What does it mean to be a person that is moving towards joy? And so I wanted to explore this from a handful of verses And we're going to start with kind of where does joy come from? What what originates joy? And then we're going to move into the Christmas story eventually for a moment. And then we're going to move into joy um, as a posture. To get us started, 
I want us to focus on what where's the origin of joy. And Galatians 5.22 says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, and then we know the rest. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And joy is a fruit or part of the fruit of the Spirit. That if you are a person born of the Spirit, if you're a person who is uh, maturing and uh, growing in your understanding of what it means to be a child of God and Christ-like, and you are uh, attentive to and attuned to what the Spirit is up to, that joy will come and that joy will be present. It'll be a fruit. It'll be an outflow of your life. So the first idea here, the first kind of thing to hold on to is that joy is kindled by the living presence of God's Spirit. So joy is not something that we just conjure up. Joy is something that is kindled by the living presence of God's Spirit. And so we, you know, we can choose happiness sometimes, but I think joy is something that we participate in. I think joy is something that we tap into when we are attuned to the Holy Spirit and we're attuned to what God is up to in our lives. So joy is kindled by the living presence of God's Spirit. I think joy is often attributed to what we see with children. And so I, for instance, we shoveled off the pond the other night and put up the floodlights and it was snowing out and it was just a beautiful night. And we were having so much fun on the ice for the first time and the kids are putting on their ice skates and they're just zooming around. And it was so easy to say, oh, look at all the joy on their faces. And it was true. There was so much joy. But, you know, the moment that really struck me was the moment when my son, who's six years old, put on his skates for the first time and he was having a hard time skating because he had not ice skated for over almost a year now. And it's not been something he's good at. He's just learning. And so he kept falling down and falling down and he was having a hard time. And I kept saying, buddy, you just got to keep getting back up. You got to keep trying. You got to keep going. And I got him a hockey stick and I passed him the puck. And, you know, he's kind of wobbly, kind of, you know, imagine like a a newborn foal, right? A newborn horse where they're kind of wobbly on their knees. That's kind of what he looks like on the ice. And he gets the puck and he's got his stick and then he shoots it towards the goal. And I do the classic dad thing where I make it look like I'm going to save it. But then I actually don't. And it goes in and hits the back of the net. And he just has the, he lights up, right? And you can just see this thing. And it's more than just that he was happy in that moment. It's like, because he overcame something, because he pushed through a challenge, there was this expression, right? There was this kind of resonance within him of something. And that really reminds me of this verse that we've highlighted during the pandemic, maybe too often, and it's maybe overused, and and maybe it's to the point where now it's just frustrating. But in James 1, it says this with verse 2 through 4, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So I think at the beginning of the pandemic, so many of us were like, okay, this is the verse we're going to hold on to, that we can face this trial, we we have to consider it joy because we know that we can endure, and that endurance, when it has its full effect... You know, it's going to move us towards maturity and completeness. We won't lack anything. We'll be more Christ-like if we, if we navigate this and we get through this trial. 
and then it lasted two months, and then it lasted six months, and then we started a school year, and then we started a school year with kids at home, and then we made it to Christmas and we didn't see anybody, and then we got to the new year and it was seemingly just as bad, and now it's been almost two years and we're still facing this trial and I'm not considering it much joy, and it's really tested my faith, and I'm sick of having to endure, and I don't want endurance to have its full effect because what more of an effect can it have on me other than negative at this point? And I don't feel like I'm getting more mature or moving towards completion because of this trial. You know, I could imagine similarly if somebody is losing a loved one or lost a loved one, they're not gonna say this loss, this grief, is a joyful trial that I'm in the midst of facing. This grief is just bringing me nothing but joy. I mean, grief and joy seem to be on uh, on the opposite sides of the spectrum. You know, if if you've gone through a hard thing or if you if something just incredibly painful or damaging or abusive has happened to you, I mean, there's no way that in the midst of that trial you're going to consider it nothing but joy. And I think that's so normal. And it's normal because we have to look at the life of Christ to see that it's actually really normal to not find in those moments the things we go through full of happiness or full of maybe even joy in the moment. I mean, think about when Jesus clears the temple and he's overturning the money changers' tables and he's brandishing a whip and driving out the animals. I mean, he's not singing, joyful, joyful, we adore thee in the midst of that moment. He's saying, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. My father's house was supposed to be a house of prayer, right? I mean, he is he is overturning the tables of systemic oppression and saying, these systems are broken and you can't keep doing this anymore. You don't get to take advantage of the poor and the needy in this way in order to make yourselves rich. This system is broken and you've turned the most beautiful thing in our faith, the temple, the place where God is taking up residence on earth, and you've turned it into a place of exploitation. And so Jesus is overturning the tables. And I, I think he was actually kind of angry. I think he was actually pretty sad or disappointed or mad. And I don't think those were unchristian or unhealthy or ungodly moments. I don't think Jesus's humanity humanity was shining through and his divinity was somehow mitigated. I think that was his, as always, a fully God, fully human moment that, yeah, he was fully frustrated and fully angry. And he was also fully God in that moment, acting as God would want uh, to act and to overturn the systems of oppression. We see Jesus maybe not joyful in that moment. Maybe we see Jesus angry. You know, and then I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's He knows he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He knows that he's about to be arrested. He's actually praying that God would take the cup of suffering from him, if it, but if not his will, but God's will be done. And so he knows what's about to happen. He doesn't want to do it. He's even sweating drops of blood. You know, he's anxious. He's stressed. He's just got so much on his mind that it is overwhelming his soul to the point where it's physically affecting him. I don't think there's a ton of joy in that moment. I think that there is something more happening in that moment. There's a lot of pain and grief in that moment. And that's Jesus. I mean, I'm not even giving you examples from my own life or someone else's life. I'm just giving you examples from the fullness of God in human form, Jesus the Christ, right? I mean, this is Jesus having the fullness of human emotion, not just joy. And that's where I think we got to remember, joy is not just an emotion. It's not happiness. And so joy is something deeper. 
And so let's go back to that James passage again. James 1, 2 through 4. What is the passage? Consider it nothing but joy. Okay, so we have to pause and say, what does that word consider mean? Consider is what you do when you're a step to remove from something. When you consider something, when you observe something, when you are reflecting on something, you are no longer in the midst of it, right? You are no longer caught up into it. So imagine if Jesus steps away from overturning the tables and the anger that he felt and the frustration that he felt and the kind of righteous indignation that he went through of of, of seeing systemic oppression and what could Jesus do after the fact is maybe he could consider consider that what he's going through and what he's trying to do is actually a healthy thing. And he could find joy in trying to participate in the overturning of systemic oppression, right? Maybe, you know, and we're going to get to a verse later on where for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Like maybe Christ is able to look back on the cross and the suffering and say, you know, that was painful. That was incredibly awful. And it should never happen to another human being again, which is part of the reason why Jesus goes to the cross so that we too don't have to. However, Christ is trusting that joy is still possible. So what does it mean for us to wrestle with this verse? Maybe joy comes from integration and reconciliation. Maybe joy comes from not remaining a victim to the things that happen to us. And understandably, we may be a victim and we may need to be a victim for a period of time because there's mourning and grief and pain and real human emotion that needs to be fully experienced and processed and gone through and wrestled with and to war against and to and to shake our fist at the heavens and say, this is wrong. And those are all appropriate things, but we're not to remain in that space forever. We're not to remain a victim to the things that happen in our life. We're made to be more than conquerors, Paul writes. We're made to be people who integrate Uh, the things that happen into who we are. You know, I have this wonderful former student of mine who had some horrific things happen to her at a young age, and she could very easily have remained a victim to those things. And by no means would she ever say that she wishes she could go through those things again or experience those, that pain again, the trauma that she went through. But instead of remaining a victim, she moved to a place of saying, okay, because I went through this, And because I know the pain of it, I don't want others to have to live in this pain any longer than they have to. So my goal is to help young people like myself to get to a healthier place as quickly or as healthily as possible. And so she got an education that allowed her to then help other people that were going through similar things that she went through. So she integrated her pain. She reconciled with her pain. Now, maybe maybe never to the point of being fine or okay with what happened to her, but maybe reconciled or integrated to the point where now, instead of it being the thing that she will forever be a victim to, but now it's the thing that propels her into who she wants to be in the world. It is, it's, it's integrating into the type of light that she wants to be as she shows up in the world and tries to make the world look a little bit more like God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So joy comes from integration and reconciliation. When we consider, when we process, when we are reflecting on what we've been through, the idea of joy, the idea of joy says, oh, 
I am now going to show up in the world this way because of what happened to me. Now, again, if you are in the midst of something or if what has happened to you is so horrific, you're going to hear these words and want to push back. And that is 100% okay. And the hope is that there will be a time to consider what you've been through, to reflect on it, and to see how, how even though it was traumatic, the person you are now is showing up in the world in a way that is beautiful and is whole and is integrated and is able to reconcile what trauma and what pain you've experienced. So the final thing I want to talk about is where are the anchors for joy? Where are the anchors for joy? You know, we have this great verse in the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, where Mary is pregnant and she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with um, a baby, and they're both miraculous birth. Elizabeth is very old and was barren and was beyond the age when um, you would have expected her to have a child. Mary is obviously pregnant by the Holy Spirit, so these two miraculous pregnancies, and they're meeting for the first time since they've both gotten pregnant. I'm reading from um, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we look at verse 44, where Elizabeth says to Mary, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy, jumped for joy. You know, I think one of the anchors for joy is when we look back on life and we have these moments where there was just something that was overwhelmingly the presence of God, overwhelmingly this moment where we could recognize the divine in our midst. And it's something that we'll, we'll never, ever forget. And so it can those moments can become an anchor for us. I mean, imagine Elizabeth raising John, right? And we know that this is John the Baptist who is going to eventually go off into the wilderness, was going to eat locusts and honey, be dressed in camel's hair, and then was going to baptize people in the Jordan River, eventually baptize Jesus. And so you can imagine him being raised and hearing about his cousin and, you know, oh man, the first time that you came across you know, Jesus was when you were in my womb and Mary came and at the sound of her voice, you leaped inside my stomach and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and this passion. And then Mary sang this beautiful song and this prophecy about who her child was going to be. And it was this dynamic experience. I mean, John probably heard this so much about what happened to him inside his mother's womb that it probably just drove him to the desert, right? I mean, maybe that's why he ended up there. It's because he was like, oh my gosh, if I hear this story one more time about me leaping in my mother's womb and her being filled with the Holy Spirit because, you know, some distant cousin of mine that is going to change the world, you know, I mean, my goodness, I can't hear this again. But there's this anchor, there's this memory, there's this moment of joy. There's this moment of the divine and the human merging so beautifully that you can't help but be shaped by it. And it probably forever shapes the trajectory of one's life, right? Sometimes these anchors of joy shape who we're going to be for our life. You know, joy is an inner knowing of a heart strangely warmed. Joy is an inner knowing of a heart strangely warmed. But sometimes there's anchors that we know of in the future. There's these promises, there's these hopes, there's this 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 idea of what God is up to that anchors us and allows us to find joy even in the hardest moments of life. You know, Hebrews 12:2 says for the joy set before him Christ endured 
the cross. So Christ knows what's coming. Christ knows that there's going to be a resurrection. Christ knows there's going to be a healing. Christ knows that there's going to be this movement towards God's justice, that there's going to be a movement towards people's lives being transformed and humanity maturing and moving towards bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And and there's this beautiful future and hope and, and Christ knows that. And because Christ knows, and not just hopes for it, wishes for it, longs for it, but because Christ knows it for the joy set before him, because he knows there's this future, Christ is able to endure the cross, even scorning its shame, not allowing the cross to be his identity, not allowing the cross and the pain of the cross to be the thing that fully encapsulate who he is. Because the miracle of Christ is not only that he goes to the cross, but that the cross doesn't end him. The cross actually is the place where transformation occurs and we have resurrection. And so you have this endurance of the present moment because there is this longing and this knowing of joy. And so therefore joy becomes a posture. Joy becomes a posture. Why? Because you have an anchor that is set in the future, in the hope that is moving into our present. We know, we know there's reconciliation. We know there's going to be justice in our lifetime or in the next. We know that there is reconciliation. We know that there is hope and not just hope in the optimistic way, but there is hope in the place, right? We know that hope is real. We know that God is just and that God is love and that God is moving all things towards the reconciliation and the restoration and the renewal that we desire and that God desires. And so we know that. And because we place our hope there, we have joy and we have joy so that we can now endure what we have. We can endure the cross that we are bearing. We can can endure the hardships of our life because there's an anchor for our souls. There's an anchor for our hope and for our faith. And so as people of hope and people of faith and people of joy, we trust in the anchors that have happened in our life that we can look back on. And we also trust in the anchor of what God is up to because we know that God is up to something and is asking us to participate in bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that is joy, that choice. And so we get to choose joy Choose joy because we know what God has done. Choose joy because we know what God is doing. And we get to choose joy because we have the opportunity to to integrate who we are and what we've been through as we move into the maturity that Christ has called us to. And so, in this Advent season, as hard as it may be, we get to choose joy. And maybe... You're not in that position. Maybe you need to overturn some tables and be angry. Maybe you need to mourn and grieve. Maybe you need to to process all that you've been through and you need to go on that journey so that you can get to a point of choosing joy. So go through that. Do the work. Push through. Like take time. Do all of those things so that joy can be a choice so that joy is possible, so that you will have the anchors in the past and you'll be able to trust the anchors in the future that allow you to be a person of joy because you know that you can endure 
what's ahead. You can endure what you are going through. And so my hope for you is that we are in this Advent season and in the seasons to come, people of hope, people of faith, and people of joy, and that we can choose joy. Thanks for joining me on Deconstructing the Bible. See you next time. Thank you.